Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, and we have an incredibly special episode of the show today as we will be joined by not one, but two people who just found out that they will be going into the University of Cincinnati Athletics Hall of Fame. We are going to be joined today by Dan Horde and Tony Pike. But first, my dog is very excited about the fact that Dan and Tony are going to be coming on. But first, this show is brought to you by Trace Poundhouse Coffee. Fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans is shipped fresh and has the roast date clearly printed on it so that you know your coffee is fresh. To order, you go to www.tracepontas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you and shipped out immediately. 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. And what you want to do, you go to the website, you sign up for a coffee subscription. The coffee beans get sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. Your choice. And when you sign up, you enter Bearcats at checkout, and that gets you a total of 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription with that code. So free shipping, 20% off with the code Bearcats. That's www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. All right, let's get to it. First up, it is Hall of Famer Tony Pike. Tony how are you today? I appreciate that. I'm fantastic. It's it's been a a fantastic couple of days here. How how, how does that sound? I, I know you're a very humble guy. To hear Tony Pike yeah. Hall of Famer. Well, for for me, it, it's all big. Just from growing up in Cincinnati and and you know having the ability to play where I grew up and then play in front of so many family and friends and and to be a part of the teams that you know help shape where this football team is now and then where this program is now um from going to games as a kid to playing at nippert stadium to now being a part of a a hall of fame class it's it's kind of a you know a a full circle culmination of anything i could ask for uh with with my love of the cincinnati bearcats you did mention one one downside to me before we were able to get on the phone Yep. And it's that, that because your team is going in, you have to. You, you're now a Hall of Famer along with your brother, who was a walk-on yep. at the time. How how, how are you going to handle that? Uh, your well, brother also being in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know what it is is that everyone just assumes that it's just the Kelsey brothers at Cincinnati. <laughs> that that that's the only the only pair of brothers. Well, you know, me and Doug are here to say that that that's not the case, and you know, it's you know for. For me, I've always been close to my family, so it's it's awesome to, you know, it was awesome for Doug to be on the team and, and have a family member on the sidelines at times and, and to talk to during the game. And um, obviously the whole family being able to, like I said, to, to be around that, it's awesome. But make no mistake about it, Doug does owe me a couple beers at this point. Yeah, you carried him into the Hall of Fame. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. As long as he pays the piper. <laughs> when, when did you guys? When did you find out exactly what was going down? Because I, I, if you if you were actually surprised, you did a good job 
uh, tricking me because early in the process when the when the website went up, you said you didn't know what was going on. When did you find out that you guys were going in the Hall of Fame? Uh, there was an email sent out earlier yesterday morning that, that kind of explained, hey, this is what we're announcing this afternoon. Uh, and this is what it's going to be. You know, please don't make a statement about it until, you know, the official announcement's made. But got the heads up yesterday. And I was I was in the same boat as a ton of people. I, you know, it was, um, you know, what's the pike to binge.com and what is what's going on on, you know, this countdown clock and I was in the same boat as everyone else. I was excited for the countdown to finally end uh, and, and the, uh, the suspense to be, to be broken. And, you know, to, to be honest, you know, when, when, I was, when I was going to the website and I would click on the link and, and you'd hear the mashup of Dan Horde and Sean McDonough on that, that Pike to Ben's Pass, I mean, it still gives me chills up to this day. And I'm getting Armand texting me like, bro, what's going on? Like, what, what, what is this Pike to Ben stuff? Like, right now, you're, you're asking the wrong person because I don't know what's <laughs> going on. And to have that and then the Hall of Fame announcement and then to hear that, you know, my good buddy now, Dan Horde, is being inducted as well was a, a great day to, to hear, especially for, uh, for Bearcat announcements. There, there's no better than Dan Horde. I, I, no, I, mean, I don't care what sport, what there, – there's no better than Dan Horde in the country when it comes to play-by-play announcing. I, I tell people, you know, my, my relationship with Dan has gone from, you know, after games, you know, so Rutgers, the 2009 season, going back the next day and hearing the radio calls or, right. you know, the pit game, after the game, hearing the radio calls. Like, even as a player, you knew that Dan Horde loved the Bearcats. Like, it wasn't just because it was his job. Like, he has a genuine passion for the University of Cincinnati. And, and, and Mo made this point yesterday, like, He's the best to ever do it without being a homer. Like, Dan Horde's never been a homer. Like, he'll call out, you know, in his own certain way if things need to be called out. But he's not a homer for his team. Like, he's very honest. He has a great love for his team. And now my relationship with Dan, obviously, has changed to, you know, where I'm doing sideline stuff with him and I'm doing TV stuff. And now to see the Dan that I knew as the guy calling my games to the Dan now that I'm working alongside and just how easy – uh, he makes my job and how great he makes me sound uh, all thanks to him is, is a, an honor for him. That's well-deserved and probably um, long overdue. Much easier to work with than Mo Egger though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the, the 2009 season now, does it feel like it was 10 years ago? I mean, I'm sure in some no. ways it does, but it, it, it seems like, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, that day in Pittsburgh. It feels like yesterday when you try to think back to it sometimes. It's, it's crazy because I can honestly remember pretty much everything about that day like it was yesterday. It, it doesn't feel like – the only thing that feels like it was 10 years ago is my body. <laughs> like the way, the way my body feels after going through the rigors of injuries and a couple seasons and and that's the only thing that feels like it's 10 years ago. Everything else is so fresh and, and, and still feels like, I mean, I think it's that the relationship with the teammates and the type of team we had where everyone was so close, it wasn't, you know, a, a job to go into the, uh, to the office and, Oh, well, we got to wake up for morning workouts. It was, you know, everyone truly buying into, Hey, we're doing this because we're going to get better from it. And I think 2008 dipping our feet in and, and understanding, you know, a Big East championship and going to a BCS game 
I think that was enough of an understanding of how special it can be. And then we were kind of given the, the artillery from the media who picked Rutgers to beat us in that first game and picked us right. not to finish first in the Big East. So I think that mixed with the work ethic we already had was kind of the perfect storm for uh, what you saw in that 09 season. When you think back, and it was the big controversy yesterday, uh, this program elevated to a different level because of Brian Kelly. I know the way yeah. he left uh, still has some fans bothered. But for you, what's it mean to have him coming back for that that ceremony, uh, to have him coming back for that weekend to be with you guys? Well, Dan Horde made the comment on the radio yesterday. He said, look, he said Brian Kelly had a bad three minutes in the course of three years. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the three years that Brian – look, you can say what you want. I, I love Mark D'Antonio to death. I, I would have personally would have never played in Mark D'Antonio's system. It was a Big Ten power eye under center system, and that wasn't where I came from. That wasn't what I was comfortable with. And at the college level, it's hard to get to get coaches to be able to – to teach you a whole new system while they're teaching the other quarterbacks the actual system. So, for me, it, it changed my career. And, and Brian Kelly, I mean, it's, it's well noted, and, and you could watch any UC game. We definitely went back and forth and had heated conversations. And, you know, he had the conversation with me going into my junior year of, hey, you know, if something doesn't happen this camp, you might want to go ahead and, and you know, we'll honor your scholarship, but there might not be a spot on this team for you. So, he challenged me in ways I've never been challenged. And as we went on, I was able to challenge him uh, with what I thought was a right decision or a wrong decision. And, and I think from that grew a mutual respect. I'm with Dan Hort. The, the way the, the banquet was held and, and the way that Brian Kelly left is still wrong to me, and it, it's still not, not the right thing. And I think even Brian Kelly, after 10 years, would maybe agree to that. I don't know, but... What I do know is it's been 10 years, and what I know is is without Brian Kelly, that team doesn't go and have the magical season that we did. We don't win back-to-back Big East championships. Uh, and you can say what you want about Brian Kelly as a person or what you think about him. Brian Kelly as a football mind uh, was revolutionary. The things he did for the game, the things he did for the university, he put them in a better place. And I think ultimately laid the, laid the groundwork for coaches like Luke Fickle to get opportunities at UC who may not have the pedigree in the past, but they're hungry and they're up and coming. And that's why coaches like Luke Fickle get those hires. Obviously coach Fickle has a ton of other great qualities, but in the past, maybe you didn't hire the coaches without the huge resume because you wanted more experience. Brian Kelly showed that you can do that and continue to grow. And like I said, it, it's been 10 years, um, a lot has changed, and I think you grow. I've obviously grown a lot. I'm sure a lot of the team has grown a lot. And at this point, you know, what I tell people, I never had a chance, and this team never had a chance to talk about that season with Brian Kelly. We've right. never had a chance to sit down and have a drink and, and tell stories and, and go over the highs and the lows and, and get together as a group. So, above anything, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, to, to be able to tell stories and get together and share those times that, you know, maybe – you know, people that weren't in our lives at that time could understand and families can understand and fans can understand. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the whole process. Well, and I think more than anything, Tony, what Brian Kelly did was he showed this program how great it could be. 
It, it, right. Because I don't think there was a belief in that. Like, I, I think there was a belief that could go to bowl games and, and could be good. But I don't know that there was ever a belief that this program could be great. And from the day he got here, he believed that. And right. whether it was just his personality or, or, or who he was, he permeated that throughout this program. And, and that now exists. That now is a core belief that we can get back to that. We can be that great. And I think without Brian Kelly, maybe that never happens here. Right. And I think and, and I, regardless of what you feel about him, that has to be celebrated. Right. And, and I think you make the point, look, it's not like this program had never had big wins. You look at the Wisconsin win. Right. You look at the, the Rutgers win with Mark D'Antonio. But the outliners in those games were UC wasn't expected to win those games. Those were those were upsets, and then it went back to a, an average year. Like this, what Brian Kelly did, he put he put the understanding of look, when you win big games, you can celebrate them. But that's what we're supposed to do at Cincinnati. Like we're we're supposed to win these games. It's not a shock to upset a team. It's not a shock to win a game. That's Cincinnati in a nutshell, the, the blue collar, you know, to, to bring your lunch pail to work. And like I said, we were, we were underdogs on the road at Rutgers on Labor Day to open the 2009 season. And not one of us in the locker room felt like it was an upset after the game. And I think that speaks to the way Brian Kelly instilled what this program can be. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a flash in the pan. It wasn't, well, we got lucky and stumbled into a Big East championship. It was back-to-back Big East championships. It was back-to-back BCS games, uh, and it, it springboarded that that team and, and, and the the university to say. And, and you look at, I mean, it, it's it's fitting. This is ten years away now, and, and we're talking about a a team coming back in the Bearcats that can be very special. And in the past, that that isn't the case because no one knew that in Cincinnati. The basketball team was always great, but no one knew what the football team can be and if they could sustain. And then it was well, you can't you can't succeed with coaching changes, and you can't succeed. Well, Brian Kelly did, and Luke Fickle has done so. Yep. Mark D'Antonio turned the program around. So, a lot of people laid the groundwork. Brian Kelly capitalized on all the pieces, and and like you said, it it, it changed the way that the university and the fan base in Cincinnati thought about this, this football team. My my first spring game at UC, we had maybe six hundred people, maybe right. That we're at the spring game. I, I went to this year's spring game. There's all kinds of people down there. We were we were selling out. We were the hottest ticket in town in 2008, 2009. Yes, that's Brian Kelly. Yes, that's the city. Yes, that's the team. But it's all those things coming together, and, and Brian Kelly was a huge part of that. Absolutely. Uh, moving forward, I, I think you could start to see um, – especially last year, the the engagement with the former guys starting to come back. And I really sensed that at this year's spring game with the golf outing and the Letterman's uh, stuff that you guys uh, all t- took part in. It really feels like Luke has done an amazing job engaging, re-engaging you guys in the program, making you you guys feel like the ownership is there and, and really making you guys a part of what's going on now again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a an open door policy and you know the the biggest gripe that i would hear from former players uh was we don't know how to even get back to the university because right. 
you know, when you go through not only coaching changes, but you went through athletic department changes. So a different AD, a different coach can feel, can feel very, um, I mean, you're, you're, you feel very far off as a former player. You don't know who to get in contact with. You don't know if you're welcome. Luke Fickle from day one reached out to the former players, said you're always welcome. Come to practices. Let us know when you want to come to games. Uh, let us know when you're going to speak to the team. All those things that wasn't around uh, before the, the Luke Fickle era. So uh, to get all those players back and, and to re-engage the, the program and, and to gain that spark and that interest is, is just kind of the, the full circle job and, and, and give credit to Luke Fickle and his staff for what they do. I mean, you see I mean, it, the, the whole staff on social media, they're amazing uh, with, with the, you know, the recruiting aspect that they have going on with ticket sales, obviously the Pike the Bend bobblehead. I mean, the, the university, the football program itself, they're putting the right foot forward so much and they're, they're building so much uh, spark and interest in this team that, you know, it, it's ready to explode. And the good thing is, is that all this is being built up and there's going to be a really good football team on the field next year for the Bearcats. How important was it to have the Kelsey brothers come back? Is that kind of, you know, they, they signify that – with the success that they've had, and they're, they're both huge names now, I, I joke that if Jason wanted to be, he could be the mayor of Philadelphia after that post-Super Bowl speech. Yeah. Um, but what's it mean to have those guys back and kind of be the front-facing names of the past being connected with the future of UC football? Well, it's huge for the past. It's huge because Jason and Travis Kelsey are arguably the best players in the NFL at their position, and they both have stories at UC. I mean, Jason was a walk-on. You know, now he's one of the highest-paid players in the NFL. I mean, Travis Kelsey got suspended from the team. There was questions if he would even have a roster spot after being suspended. So, Jason, who who battles through being a walk-on. Travis, who battles through, you know, understanding the the maturity to play at that level and and to get through the suspensions and to both finish their career at Cincinnati, where they started their career. You know, because you see the trend now in, in football and sports, well, if something bad happens, people just transfer. Right. Something bad happens here, I'll just transfer else. Competition gets too hard, I'll transfer else. That's not the case. The, both the Kelsey brothers came to work. They battled different circumstances, and then they embodied what it was to be a Bearcat on and off the field, and, and they've gone on to to represent UC in a huge way in the National Football League. I mean, that's two premier players from one school. Those who are brothers in the NFL that have ties to the University of Cincinnati and now having them back at the golf outing, having them around the program, hearing Jason talk to the team, uh, hearing Jason and Travis talk after the golf outing, it just shows their love for Cincinnati and, you know, that, that you can, you know, so many recruiters go and say, well, you know, you're not a four-star guy. Well, you've you got to go to a Power 5 school. Jason and Travis, they were neither one of those. They came to Cincinnati. Uh, not huge rankings, and, and now they're more the successful players in the NFL. So you can do it at Cincinnati. You can do it if you buy in. And I think with the staff at Cincinnati and what's being built, it's, it's a great time to to interlock the Kelseys and former players in with this current team. And progressing that forward, big news last week, late last week, with the commitment of Evan Prater. He's, uh, he's an old CHL guy. 
Well, the the long line continues. The long line of CHL quarterbacks that have uh, matriculated to the University of Cincinnati continues. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think you've worked with Evan directly, but uh, I I talked to him about it and and said you guys have, uh, have known each other for a while now. What's your impression of how big that commitment was for the program? Um, you've got Desmond Ritter. You've got Ben Bryant. I think Michael Ridenauer is going to be a good one that's coming in uh, this summer. And then you land a, a four-star, big-time, big-name quarterback in Evan Prater. You get him to stay home. What do you think that means for the, the program going forward? Well, what it means for the program with Evan is you're getting a unbelievably strong arm. You're getting an accurate passer an unbelievable athlete. I mean, you watch his basketball highlights and you can see that he dominates on the field. Uh, but what you're now getting into the, the course of is, you know, the, the Tuberville era is long gone. Yeah. This team is, they're recruiting Cincinnati. Uh, they're succeeding in Cincinnati and they're getting players now that in years past leave Cincinnati and go play at a power five school. You look at the offers Evan Prater had, you look at offers that a lot of these recruits have had, I mean, there's a big-time offers when you look at Power 5 schools and where they're at. UC is now right in the mix of all that. They're creating, they're creating the environment of, hey, you know what? This is the thing to do. Stay home, play in front of your family and friends, and succeed. And you heard Evan say that multiple times in his signing day, how important it was that he's playing in front of his parents and his family and his teammates can all come down and watch. And that's a big selling point. And it was hard to sell when you were winning four games a year. Right. It's hard to sell if you were winning five or six games. Now you, you have the backing of what this team has done, what they can do, the coaching staff, the recruiting classes, all that now coming together. And you're getting obviously you're getting a heck of a player in Evan. And I think you're in getting his brother too. The, the one question mark on this team is receiver. I think his brother has a ton of upside at receiver as well. So you get all those pieces together. <laughs> Uh, I know this staff isn't done in recruiting, uh, but it, it, it's it's the sign of the new standard uh, of what Cincinnati wants to be. Did you ever truly think you'd see the day where the best kids in Cincinnati want to stay home? Because for the longest time, that was everybody wanted to leave. They, they wanted to yeah. go, you know, go away for college. That was the biggest thing you heard. Wanted to go away, and, and now even if you know it's somebody they're not going to get. They're involved, and they're a serious factor in that kid's recruitment. That kid's on campus five, six times in the spring and in the summer. And, uh, you know, now you look at it and you say, all of these kids, even if they end up somewhere else, Cincinnati's an actual player in their recruitment in the city. And as a former, you know, player from Cincinnati, that that has to be something special. Yeah, and it goes a long way where the program has gone. It, it goes a long way in the work that this university has put into the facilities because the facilities are top-notch, second to none. So you get all those things together. And people say, well, you know, the the 08-09 team, they had a lot of Cincinnati. We had a lot of Cincinnati recruits, but we didn't have the three, four-star guys from Cincinnati. Our team was assembled a lot of, you know, I I don't even think I had a star. I mean, a a lot of the, the local Cincinnati guys were guys that, we had the natural chip on our shoulder because we didn't get uh, yeah. the the invites from a lot of colleges. I had one other offer coming out of college. That was a lot of guys that were coming from Cincinnati, playing at Cincinnati. You had the natural chip on your shoulder because you hadn't been recruited by those big schools. It's different now. Now you are 
getting kids that are getting recruited by the big schools saying, no, we're going to UC. Like, that's, that's the spot to be. That's the next big thing. That's where this, this, this trend is going. So that, that's even harder than what was done during the 08-09 teams. I mean, those, it was easier to recruit the guys that didn't have many offers. Right. Now you're, you're recruiting guys that are getting offers from Ohio State and, you know, the Oklahoma Michigan State, and the and Oklahoma, yeah. Michigan State, and you're winning. So to, to go to bat and say, you know what, we can do it against these guys, uh, then, then really the, the sky's the limit now for the recruits. It's, it's like, you know, in, in basketball and, and maybe, you know, for years where you see a guy, you're like, well, there's no point in recruiting him because we can't get him. But he'd already got, he's already got offers from these schools. I don't think you have that now with, with football. It's okay, well, here's who he's been offered by. Okay, let's bring him in and see what we can do. Right. And I think that's, that's gone a long way to where this team is and, and like I said, where this team's going to be going. And, and guys like Evan Prater staying home kind of make it cool. It makes it acceptable. Yep. It, um, makes, it, makes, it makes it the thing to do. I mean, that's – Right. You know, now it's, it's kids that are freshmen and sophomore in high school. Well, I'm, I want to be like Evan Prater. I want to be like Josh Wiley. I want to play here and, and go play college here and, and have, be able to play. And, I mean, that was, for me, being able to play in front of family and friends six or seven times a year was, was awesome. And, and now to do that with a really good team and a team that can compete, not, a, not just on an American Athletic Conference level, but on a national level, is something special. You were, you were pretty high, as I recall, you were high on the hire of Luke Fickle when it happened. Uh, did you think it would be this quick? Did you think uh, the thing that amazes me, Tony, especially like uh, being there in the spring, it's not just the talent at the top of the roster. It's the depth that he's already built in such quick fashion uh, in, in replenishing this roster. Uh, it, it really is unbelievable to think where this program was. And I still remember, I have the day like etched in my brain, December 10th, 2016, when we sat there in the in the 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 press conference and watched Luke Fickle introduced, I, I did I thought he would be a good coach. I thought he had a chance to because of uh, his ties with coaches in the state of Ohio, because of his history in the state, because of his personality. I thought he had a chance to be a really good coach, but I didn't see it happening as as quickly. Uh, as he has made it happen, and not just from the top, but from the top to the bottom, because that's been the hard thing at, at Cincinnati over the years has been depth. You know, there's been top line guys: Tony Pike, Marty Gilliard, Armand Benz, Isaiah Pede. But what was behind them was always kind of the question, and now it's it, it's that question is being answered with a resounding: We can go too deep. We could go into our three deep. A, a perfect example. You go to the, the military bowl. Ty Van Fossen makes one of the biggest plays of the year. It was the first game he had played in all year. And when his number's called, he, he it, it breaks up a pass in the end zone at the end of the game. Yep. Uh, I think for me, more than anything, that depth has just been uh, – being able to develop that is what's been remarkable. Well, it's the depth and it's the, it's the understanding. I mean, you got to imagine it's easy to recruit when you don't have anyone on the roster. Right. It's easy to recruit and say, hey, you can come in and play right away. It's harder to recruit when you have one of the youngest teams in the country last year and you got everybody coming back, and they're still doing it. And they're still landing big names, and they're still creating the depth. And, and, and I'm with you. Like, I, I love the hire right away with Luke Fickle. I love his ties to Cincinnati. I love what he was all about. 
you know, the, the blue collar mindset, but I was with you. It was, it was still the question of, man, they, they've been really bad the last couple of years and, and Tupperville has left them nothing. I remember talking to the coaching staff at one of the first practices and just simple things like receivers getting off a jam. I mean, they hadn't been coached up on stuff like that. I mean, it just completely had dropped the ball at the previous staff. So I, I, I watched the press conference. I got excited, but it, there was part of me that's like, well, every coach knows what to say at a press conference. Every coach right. is going to say the right things. It was, to me, going to that first practice at higher ground and seeing the intensity and the music blare and the coaches running around and, and just how they were coaching, not just Luke Fickle, how the whole staff was coaching. So, I mean, no coaches had a, a voice after each practice because they're, they're flying around, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're pumping these guys up. They're positive. They're, they get on the guys when they need to. But when you see how Luke Fickle handles himself in the practices and you see how he handles himself in the, in the games and even going into games under man that first year, just knowing that, you know what, it feels like we at least have a chance. It feels like he's going to get the best out of this team. To have all that kind of fall into place and, and to see what's happened now, it honestly, it, it, I, I'd like to say it surprised me, but it, it doesn't surprise me because I, I really believe in, in what Luke Fickle's brought to this team. And, and, the, and not just what he's brought, but he's made smart hire. He brought back Mike Mickens, who was an All-American. He brought back Gino Gadouli. Uh, to, to who's recruiting his tail off. Right. Like, like these guys know the, like, it's one, and I talked to Desmond Ritter about this last year. Like it's, it's one thing to have a quarterback coach that played quarterback or that knows the position. It's another thing to have a quarterback coach that sat in the same room you did. Right. It, to, to have a quarterback coach that coach, man, I'm, I'm struggling and have that coach say, Hey, head here. It's a, it's a place, you know, 10 minutes off campus. I used to, you know, you can go here and rely on it. Just, just stuff because Gino knows the area. He knows the meeting rooms. He knows the campus. He knows what it feels like to sit in the exact same meeting rooms. All those things go together. I mean, it, it's great. Mike Mickens the same way. These coaches understand two-a-days and what it's like when, when things get tiring and, and you, you, you want to be done and you got to keep pushing on. I mean, the coaches get it so they can portray that to the players, unlike coaches that, that aren't from around this area. Last question before I let you go, and you've been uh, wonderful with your time. I know, you know, the, the schedule with Cincy 360 on 1530 every day at noon, uh, it, it keeps you very busy. That's a show oh, yeah. you're, you're supposed to have a co-host with every day, uh, but it seems like your co-host has flaked on you a lot. Um, yeah, he, he makes it a point to at least come in and give me his locks of the night every night. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's the ceiling for Desmond Ritter? how good can he be? Because I, the thing is, he was really good last year, and I got the impression this spring, and I know you probably saw it at the spring game as well, he might just be scratching the surface. I don't know that there is a ceiling right now. I think when you look at Dez last year, you can say, well, he took the league by storm. They don't know how to game plan for him yet. Like, Dez is just different. He's, he's, he's the humblest and nicest guy off the field one of the most respectful guys off the field. On the field, you don't want to cross his path. Like he'll he'll taunt the defense when he needs he'll he'll light someone up in the huddle when he needs to. He's a great leader. He understands the offense that's being run. And for me, he understands what's gonna happen before it happens. So, you know, people could say, Well, will he have a slump this year because last year was so great? He could, but I think Des understands that slumps come in football. And I think he's putting the work in to avoid that because 
you have to understand now, teams have a full off season, whereas last year they had a week or two to, to prepare for Des Ritter. Teams now have a full off season to try to figure out how they're going to game plan. It's, it's very similar to what you see in the NFL. You know, when, when Cam Newton has a great first year or Robert Griffin has a great first year, there's a reason the successful quarterbacks last very long, and that's because mentally they're, they're sharper than their opponent. And I think if, if Des understands, which I believe he does, the work that needs to go into the film room, and not just the physical side, but growing mentally, so that he doesn't see anything next year that surprises him. So you can come out in the first series and say, okay, what are they doing against trips? What are they doing against empty? What are they doing against two-by-two? And say, okay, now that I saw that in the first series, this is how I'm going to attack it. If he has that understanding, there is no ceiling. He's going to continue to grow and continue to improve. All right, man. Thanks a lot. That is Hall of Famer Tony Pike. See, you still – it's so fresh still that when you hear it, it just – it brings up something in you, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) It does. I like it. All right, man. Well, uh, you, I need you to give me one of those bobbleheads, too, because uh, I don't think they're going to give them to people with media passes. I don't think those count as season yeah. tickets. So I'll work on it. We'll, we'll have I, to pull some strings. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get a good allotment of those. <laughs> don't use them to catch bees like they did the box of uh, <laughs> Joey, old Joey Votto bobbleheads. But yeah. all, right. Right. all right, man. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. All right, and as always, a special thanks to Tony Pike for joining us on the BCJ Podcast. And the Hall of Fame edition rolls on. Things just keep getting better as we are now joined by the voice of the Bearcats and also someone that was announced yesterday as a new member of the University of Cincinnati Athletics Hall of Fame. Welcome in, Dan Horde. Dan, how are you? Chad, I'm awesome. It's been a wonderful 24 hours, that's for sure. Hall of Famer Dan Horde, how does that sound? Uh, wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> doesn't sound right. Um, I, I, this is not false humility. Um, I think halls of fame should probably reserve, be reserved for the players and coaches, but I appreciate the honor. I'm certainly not going to turn it down and, uh, grateful that, uh, UC feels that way about me. It's been how many years now since you've been at UC? This coming year will be my 20th year as the radio broadcast, well, the full-time radio broadcaster. I did one year of UC football on radio. I think it was the 1997 season, the year that Paul Keels did the Bengals. And obviously I did UC basketball on Fox 19 back when they had the package, uh, when I was their sports director. So it's been longer than 20 years, but this will be my 20th as the full-time radio voice. How I don't know if I've ever asked you before. How did getting to Cincinnati come about? How did that job with Fox 19 come about uh, after Syracuse to get you to Cincinnati? So my then-girlfriend, now wife, Peg, got a job at Local 12 as a TV news reporter. Uh, we had started dating in Syracuse. Then she got a job in TV in Rochester, New York, when I was working in Syracuse, and that wasn't very far apart, so it didn't really uh, mean much to our courtship then she got a job in cincinnati and suddenly if we were going to remain a couple uh, i needed to try to get a job here so i I started looking at all the local tv stations i think i got turned down by all of them (laughs) Um, but i came here to visit peg at new year's i went to a new year's eve party it was actually at i think at the time it was the mad frog in clifton oh yeah oh yeah yep 
I don't know what that's currently named. Corey's maybe. Yes, yeah. I, I don't know. It was the Mad Frog at the time. So we went to a New Year's Eve party at the Mad Frog, and I got introduced to Carla Stanley, who was the news director at Fox 19 at the time. I let her know who I was, and that if she ever had an opening, I'd be interested. And sure enough, a few months later, Kevin Frazier bolted for the big time. He was off yeah. to Hollywood and all the big things that he's done since. And Carla Stanley kind of called me out of the blue and said, hey, we've got an opening. Send me your tape. And that's how I wound up in Cincinnati in 1996. And it's, it's been nothing but magic ever since, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's been, it has been. You know, it's, it sounds corny to say that. But, you know, so fate is such a big part of this business. And I wind up here. Uh, I wind up being the voice of the Bearcats and the Bengals, which is, you know, beyond my dreams, really. Uh, when I got into sports broadcasting, and I wound up in Cincinnati. I've now lived here longer than any other place I've ever lived in my life. I don't plan to leave. We've made it our home. I love it here. Obviously, I love UC, and I love working for the Bengals as well. So uh, it has been magical. It really has been. Well, you pulled off something that pretty much nobody, very, very few people in the history of Cincinnati have ever done, and that's being an outsider that has been accepted by maybe the most provincial city in the country, maybe the world. <laughs> How does that feel to, to be one of Cincinnati's own? It's not an easy distinction. Uh, I, I got well, crapped this weekend because I was born on the wrong side of the river. Even. <laughs> well, I think uh, maybe if, if that's true, it's because people realize how much I love my current home. Uh, I wasn't lucky enough to be born and raised here. I kind of wish I had been. Uh, but it's a it's a fantastic place. It's a great place to be a sports broadcaster or a sports fan, even though our teams aren't necessarily crushing it right now. Uh, but, you know, Cincinnati's teams have become my teams. I feel like a Cincinnatian. I feel like a UC grad, even though I've never taken a class at UC. So You and me both. Uh, it's yeah, become the, my home. Surprising fact, neither of us went to UC. Maybe we should both take a class, get a little bit smarter. Maybe, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Um, so... This was you found out at a spring practice. Uh, you were you were hanging out down on the field watching watching practice. Uh, the last practice or the second to last practice, I believe, and the uh, the the folks in the athletic department come down and inform you that that you're going into the Hall of Fame. What is that emotion like? What is that feeling like to to hear that you're gonna that they you know your your work is thought that highly of uh, that they're gonna give you that type of honor. It's overwhelming. It really is. And ha had I been on candid camera, <laughs> I imagine my reaction would have been pretty amusing because it was just so stunning to me. Uh, Mike came down along with a few other members of the uh, athletic department. You were there to see it, although I don't think you could hear what they were saying. But in any case, it, it really it floored me. Uh, I came out of nowhere. I certainly didn't expect it. And uh, just overcome with gratitude that, that they would do that for me. Well, it was funny because we were you were uh, down towards the south end zone, and we were up more towards the north end zone, standing watching the end of practice. And um, all of a sudden, I mean, you, you don't normally see like Mike Bone and, and, and Brandon Sosna come down to practice quite a bit, but you don't normally see like a group of people from the <laughs> athletic department yeah. together coming down to the field and walking like they're kind of on a mission. And we're, we're looking like, what in the heck is going on? 
and then they walked down and found you. It was one of those moments where we're all looking at each other like something big is happening, but we're not quite sure what yet. <laughs> well, that's funny because I did not see them approach. I don't know. Must have been locked in on practice that day or something because they kind of snuck up on me. And uh, so I did not have that buildup of wondering what the heck is going on. Why are these people approaching me? <laughs> I could only imagine your your thought process if you saw all four of them walking at you. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I might have been fearing the worst instead of expecting the best. Yeah, and and that was um that was a wild day because half an hour later we found out Mick Cronin left for UCLA. So that was uh, it was a, a lot of emotions that day. I, I will say, yeah, that's uh, for sure. um, it, this job. It, I, I think one of the coolest things too about about your career in this position, um, you've got to work with two other Hall of Famers, in Jim Kelly Jr. and, and Chuck Mayshock. Uh, what was working with them like in getting to know the city? I mean, you had been here obviously with with Fox nineteen. But getting to really like know UC and the culture and and how important were they in your development uh, as a play by play guy? Well, very important. Uh, Kurt Gowdy famously said that it's a long season in a small booth. So if you don't yeah. get along with your partner, it can be very awkward on the air. And I've had relationships, especially as a baseball broadcaster, that weren't necessarily adversarial, but weren't always great. So when you have an analyst who's not only great on the air, but becomes one of your best friends, that's the ideal situation. And that's happened with both of those guys. You know, separately, Chuck, I say all the time, nobody has given me more laughs in my lifetime yeah. than Chuck Mayshock. So what a wonderful thing uh, that a friend can do for you when you just know every minute that you spend with him, you're going to be laughing your butt off. And that's the case with Chuck. And then with Jim Kelly, when I got the job at Fox 19 – to come to Cincinnati, the football coach, the old football coach at Syracuse, Dick McPherson, who's in the College Football Hall of Fame and passed away a couple of years ago, he called me to congratulate me on, on getting a job and leaving Syracuse. And he said, when you get to Syracuse, you need to look up Jim Kelly Sr., Jim's dad. Yes. And, you know, who had a legendary career at UC as a player as a coach, as an administrator, UC's Hall of Fame is named for him. It's the James P. Kelly Athletic Hall of Fame. So Coach Mack in Syracuse said, call Jim Kelly Sr. when you get to town. Tell him I told you to call him, and he will clue you in on anything you need to know about the city, about the university, etc. So even before I knew Jim Jr. and we were broadcasting partners, I reached out to his dad. So it's it's just been a really great relationship with him and with Chuck and now with Terry. So uh, I've been blessed to work with the three guys that I love. All the games through all the years, 2009 is, is the team that you're going in with. You, you had a, a great message uh, yesterday about the, that game, that call. Um, what does it mean to go in with that team? Because that team was such a, a wild ride and, and so many close games and so many shootouts and, the bravado of Brian Kelly and, and seeing Tony Pike's career finally really uh, explode onto the national stage and Marty Gilliard and Armand Benz and everything that happened with that team. Does it mean anything special to, to be going in with them as a unit? It does, because that was the most enjoyable experience that I've had in broadcasting. 
Um, and I've had some great ones. I've yep. been lucky to, uh, you know, call great Bearcat basketball seasons and five Bengals playoff seasons my first five years. So by and large, most of the teams that I've been working for have done well. But that season was unbelievable. It started in 2008 with the Orange Bowl trip, and then at the end of that year, they lost 10 starters on defense. We look back at it now, and it seems like, you know, they just were going to continue what they did in 2008 right into 2009, but at the time, it didn't necessarily feel that way. They were an underdog in week one on the road at Rutgers and destroyed Rutgers. It was 31-7 to at the half. They won the game by 32 points. Um, completely humiliated Greg Schiano's team, and then things just kept building from there. They overcame Tony Pike's broken arm in week six. Zach Kalara stepped in, didn't miss a beat. And uh, the final few weeks of the season, the defense ran out of gas, and the fast, simple offense, I think, uh, caused the defense some trouble being on the field too much, and they started giving up a bunch of points, but they managed to win one thriller after another. That season just in and of itself was – and you mentioned I, – I think people forget that. Like Connor Barwin, Mike Mickens, D'Angelo Smith, Haruki Nakamura, all those guys were gone. And that was really the core of what Brian Kelly built everything on were those guys that he inherited from Mark D'Antonio. And and then to see them just – the confidence level that, that Brian Kelly instilled in that team um, was really remarkable, and that's – I guess it's been the the hot button topic since this has been announced. Brian Kelly coming back. How? What's your take on that? Because my take is, look, I get it. People are still upset at the way he left, but Brian Kelly allowed this football program to dream bigger than it had ever dreamed before. And I think after a decade, yeah, maybe you still have some ill will towards the way he left, but you should be able to to give him a hearty welcome back and a, and a thank you for what he did for this program. I think that's what most people will do. I think right now there's a, a vocal minority that's speaking out and still upset with, uh, you know, the way things ended. I said at the time, and I've used the line many times since he botched the last three minutes of three magical years, but it was only three minutes. And I think if he had to do it all over again, he would have informed the team first. It wouldn't have been as messy as it was. Um, maybe he would have even stayed to coach the bowl game because now we are seeing from Scott Frost and others that, that maybe the way that's the way things are going when you're having a great season and you play in a bowl game of that magnitude, you kind of owe it to your players to stay. And maybe in, in 2019, Brian Kelly would, uh, but he didn't back then. It's unfortunate, but I, I never really had bad feelings about him. I appreciate what he did in winning 33 games in three years and, and, showing Bearcat fans that anything was possible in the football program, literally anything. I mean, they were seconds away from playing for the national championship that year. And even though, you know, it doesn't seem likely going into this season that the football team is going to play in the four-team playoff, it's possible if they run the table and win at Ohio State and beat good conference teams this year like UCF and Houston and Memphis and USF and went on the road at Marshall and beat UCLA. I mean, if they ran the table with that schedule and say there was only one undefeated team from the uh, Power Five, it's possible. And and prior to Brian Kelly, I don't think we ever dreamed of things like that. Yeah, I think prior to Brian Kelly, the belief on the Cincinnati football program was they could be good, 
and Tony talked about this uh, a little bit earlier, they could be good. There could be wins like Wisconsin or Penn State. Um, but there was never really the belief because there was never any evidence that they could be great, that they could be, you know, one of those teams that is in the hunt for a, a national championship or in the hunt for a top 10 ranking. And and Brian Kelly just kind of was one of those, he spoke it into existence because he believed it. Um, Correct. And whether he, he truly believed it or not, he was going to go down swinging with everything he had on on proving that it could be done and lo and behold it happened and I think it changed the entire trajectory the the entire future of Cincinnati football uh just because of his personality and the way that he carried himself and the way that he that he made everybody else in town believe what he was telling them that that this could be a program that could win on the biggest stages and then to back it up. Yeah, okay. and then to back Which it is up. The That's best part of all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brian Kelly is the most outwardly confident person I have ever encountered in any walk of life. Yeah. So much so that it was contagious. When you were yeah. around him, you bought what he was selling. It has continued at Notre Dame. They played for a national championship. They didn't win it. Uh, they got to the four team playoff last year. They didn't win it, but he has been highly successful there. Obviously, he won national championships at Grand Valley State. When you are in his presence and he is leading the way, you buy what he is selling. And it'll be, I think, a very cool thing to see him come back out onto the field at Nippert because some of the most memorable times that I can think of at Nippert Stadium were were when Brian Kelly was at the helm, uh, fans storming the field, and just, just some incredible moments that all date back to that. And, and that team and, and that coach – deserve everything that they're going to get uh, this coming season. I think it's going to be really cool. And um, the, the funny thing is, though, talking about Brian, so many different ways to to do things. And Luke Fickle's personality is kind of polar opposite to Brian Kelly in that it's not bravado. It's, it's kind of football guy-ish, uh, for lack of a better term. Where they're going to go to work, and they're you know they're not the Brian Kelly's teams didn't. That's not what I'm saying, yeah. but the personality. It, it's interesting to see uh, the way Brian Kelly did it, and then now you're seeing somebody that's kind of the exact opposite in Luke Fickle in his personality and his approach, but still producing phenomenal results. Yeah, you know, in Luke's case, he doesn't say it, but you can sense the confidence is there. He's yeah. not as verbal about it. He's not you know, looking to uh, create a stir with it the way that Brian would. Uh, but it's there, and uh, and the players reflect it. What were your impressions of him when he first got the job and and, and to see what he has been able to, to take this program to a different level, uh, both on the field, in recruiting? Uh, I think the one thing that really blew me away this spring is you start looking around and you thought – you know, just last spring, we were really worried about the depth of this roster. Um, you know, they had some veterans that we thought could step up. We knew Cortez Broughton was good. We knew Mar- Marquise Copeland was good. But there were a lot of question marks about the depth and and could they sustain. And now you start looking around. The running back room might be the best it's ever been. The tight end room might be the best it's ever been. The quarterback room, especially now when you talk about the commitment of Evan Prater, 
uh, is in incredible shape. The offensive line has made drastic improvements. Everywhere on defense, there's drastic improvements in quality and depth. Uh, has it been sh- kind of shocking to see in, in such a short order how much he has built this roster and his image? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it was interesting going through spring football because I think a lot of us have been saying this team is going to be good this year, but the schedule's tougher. Yeah. They could be better and have a poorer record. And uh, I guess maybe I still kind of lean toward that, but I, I lean less toward that than I did at the beginning of spring practice because that team looks really good. Uh, yeah, Desmond Ritter was uh, a revelation as a first-time starter last year. Now he looks like a stud. <laughs> I mean, the running back and tight end positions that you alluded to are so deep the the legitimate question is how do you keep everybody happy, which is a good problem to have. So he's done a phenomenal job. The team was so well coached last year too. I mean, a lot of these guys were there the year before for the previous couple of years for four and eight seasons. And suddenly they were playing at a level that you didn't realize they had in them. So this staff top to bottom has done an incredible job, very similar to uh, Brian Kelly's, staff in terms of what they're getting out of these guys they're getting there in a different way uh, but they are getting similar results absolutely um on the basketball side obviously change is um change is something that this fan base has not really experienced and i think that's we've seen a lot of frustration we've seen a lot of you know people trying to to piece this together mentally and um John Brandon walked into a, a good situation, a, a much better situation than Mick Cronin walked into, probably a better situation than Bob Huggins walked into. Uh, but I, I think what we're experiencing right now, and you can t- tell me if you disagree, we're experiencing a fan base that hasn't really seen change in their basketball program in 30 years. And I think the uncertainty makes people nervous. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I, I it, you know, I've known John a long time. I think John has every tool in the in the belt to be very successful here. But to think that, that change was going to happen and, and it was just going to be uh, a walk in the park and everything would carry on, it, I don't think that's realistic. And it's something that – you're a Syracuse guy, so you wouldn't have – no, Bayheim's been there for ever and ever and ever. He was there when you <laughs> were in college, right? Lives. Yeah, he was there when you oh, were yeah, in college. Sure. So, yeah. you know, for but, many years before that. How about that? You've experienced what? One coaching change between when you were at Syracuse and all your time at UC, Bob Huggins to Mick Cronin was the only coaching change you experienced until now. Um, about that. But going through that, I mean, what would you say? What's your take on on experience in this change and being able to keep emotions in check and not letting the emotion of it get you too high or too low as, as John Brandon goes through the process of starting to land recruits and, and hiring a staff and things of that nature? Well, the bottom line is I think they hired the right guy. I think right. John Brandon is the, he was the best available guy, and I think he's going to do a great job. But year one might be a slight step backward. We'll see how it plays out uh, when we find out who is ultimately on the roster, and there's still a lot up in the air where that is concerned. But when you make that decision, you're making it long-term. You're not trying to just win for a year. You're trying to win for the next 10 or 20. And I think John Brannon was a great hire. I've got a lot of confidence in him. And uh, it's unfortunate that Monsieur Brooks left. 
maybe Jaron Cumberland will wind up playing professionally somewhere next year. It would have been a lot easier for Coach Brandon if all those guys had stayed around. Um, I think he did what he could to try to convince guys to stay. Uh, I have not personally talked to Nas about why he left. It seems like an odd move to me, but I like the kid. I wish him uh, the best of luck. I just think he would have been better off to stay. But, again, I think long-term John is going to do well, um, and, and I hope that he's able to uh, put things together in the short term that they have a good year next year as well. All right, Dan. Well, congratulations, Mr. Hall of Famer. Thank you. Appreciate I know it. that that has to just be kind of surreal. To, yeah, to... I'd appreciate it if you if you would not refer to me that way. <laughs> uh, Dan, you, you know, fine. the the last guy I talked to a little bit ago was uh, was very. Every time I said it, he was like, "Ah, Tony Pike, Hall of Famer." That I did want to ask that. That's one one other thing I wanted to talk about. Now you get to work with Tony uh, and and professionally get to experience kind of his growth as a broadcaster. Yeah. Um, how cool is that kind of, you know, helping mentor him and, and show him the ropes of the broadcasting business? Because I think in the short two or three years that he's really focused on this, he has gotten progressively and substantially better at being a broadcaster. Uh, and he has a very bright future in that field. It's got to be cool to see a guy that was, you know, on the field playing quarterback that, that you got to call a lot of his games. And now you're getting to uh, help him grow into a professional broadcaster as well. I think Tony's going to be a star. I think he's a natural at it. He's smart. He's funny. He's glib. Uh, the first time that he worked for us on the sidelines, it might have been early second quarter, halftime. I don't know exactly when in the game, but I turned to Mo Egger and I said, is this guy as good as I think he is? Because he was just a natural yeah. in the first game that we did together. So uh, I think, Tony, there's a very good chance we're going to be seeing him on ESPN or Fox or somewhere big calling major college football games or being involved in a studio show because he's that good. All right. Well, I, w I won't refer to you as, as the HOF word. He, he wanted me Thank to you. call him. He wanted me to call him Hoff Hoffer. That's what he <laughs> well, wanted. That's perfect Hoffer. for Tony. That's for him. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks again. As always, I know Cincinnati fans absolutely love having you in town, love having you be the voice of uh, the Bearcats and the Bengals and all the big games that have accompanied both in your time in town and uh, it's always great to have you on this podcast and I will look forward to seeing you soon. We'll get a break from each other, but around August we'll, uh, we'll start reconvening maybe up at uh, camp higher ground. Sounds good. You're the best All Chad. Right. Thank you. Well, that wraps it up for the hall of fame edition. Special thanks of course to hall of famer, Tony Pike and hall of famer, Dan Horde. Uh, on their big announcement yesterday that both of them will be entering the University of Cincinnati Athletics Hall of Fame. Huge honor to have both of them join me on this show, and I uh, hope everybody enjoyed. We'll see you next time. Thanks to Dan. Thanks to Tony. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.